I like to be the only cishet woman in the village. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, if you go down to gay clubs, you are not. Hello. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing? Paul, it's really nice to see you. You too. And uh, welcome to um, uh, Sarah and Paul do do social work. <laughs> it's been so long, I've almost forgotten <laughs> what we're doing. No, you haven't, and Bagarin's going to edit that. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's really nice to be here. And it I is. know that um, today we've chosen to talk about a really important topic that's yeah. really like important to both of us. Yes. Each episode is really important and wanting to get it right in terms sure. of uh, kind of facts and opinions and analysis, and of course, kind of pitching it out of listeners but particularly yeah. today when we're talking about uh, the topic that we're going to talk about that we haven't introduced <laughs> <laughs> LGBTQI uh, plus issues that I want to really get it right so yeah, there's something no, about too. me there's something about me today that feels really important that I want to get it right yeah. I don't want to get it wrong yeah and if we do get it wrong then we welcome people to get in touch and feedback absolutely Yes, good. So let's let's introduce ourselves for new listeners. My name's uh, Paul Shuttleworth, Doctor. Sorry, Doctor Paul Shuttleworth, um, and I have just finished my postdoc, and I've just started two new jobs, which you might talk about, but probably won't. Well, we had to hear about the times that you were unemployed for a little while. <laughs> That's so very true. That's we look very forward true. to hearing about your new jobs. And yourself, Sarah. I'm Sarah Flagg, and I am a social worker, but I work now within community development, specifically within the domestic abuse sector. Cool. In this episode, we're talking about um, social work and LGBTQI plus communities. Correct. And what we want to cover today, Paul. I mean, there's so much we could cover, but yeah. we um, we won't get we won't cover it all. But it's around how social workers respond yep. to working with people in those communities. Yep. It's thinking about the other challenges that people may be facing, yep. uh, intersectionality, for example. And then I think it's really important to then cover around how social workers can create an inclusive environment in their practice. Yes. And also remember that some of us are LGBTQI plus as well. And yeah. let's talk about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a really um, great topic. And I know we've said for a while we're going to talk about this because for social workers, working with in the LGBTQI plus community. I think there's a bit of clunkiness about acronyms, but I think that's fine. Actually, the plus thing, and as, as long as we're kind of mindful of being inclusive, then, then that's okay. So we might be a little bit clunky in this episode, but we will try our hardest to be as inclusive as possible. When we use the term LGBTQI plus, yeah. um, that refers to such a kind of huge group of people that yeah. we're not then kind of grouping of those people together as the same. Not a homogenous group, yeah. And I, one of the things uh, I think is important to notice is that where you and I live, Paul, people don't know, is Brighton, which we are, we often refer to the Brighton bubble. Yeah. And even in Brighton, there's obviously lots of challenges that people within those communities face. And yeah. that's kind of what we'll talk about today because we're bringing our own experience. Yeah. However, kind of wider than Brighton, there's such bigger issues and that people are even more marginalised yeah. and kind of less accepted. Yeah. Before we go into all of this, because we're, we're, we're diving into it, aren't we? Can we do our um, doo-doos and poo-poos? For those who uh, haven't listened before, doo-doos is, is when what we can do to pat ourselves on the back. Things that we um, celebrate. We celebrate, because we don't celebrate enough. So my doo-doo this week has been getting out and about and meeting with different people. Same old, same old. <laughs> I could have mentioned the full moon. When I say getting out and meeting yes. people specifically for the purpose of creating change, okay. so coming together with shared purpose, 
creating change rather than working at home on your own <laughs> behind your laptop. Same. No, it's, it's fine. Sorry. Oh my God. No, <laughs> yeah. wonder, no wonder I can't get any friends. I just talk about the same thing all the time. Okay, what's new in my life, guys? Yes, come on. Come on. What can you celebrate? What Have a think. What, what can you really, really celebrate in terms of that you've done in the last kind of few weeks? Getting early nights in. That's okay, really there you go. Okay, fine. Yeah. Right. The, yes. the night's drawing in, so yes. the seasons are changing, yes. and I'm uh, sad to see the summer go, but I like the darker nights, so it means I can get into bed earlier. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So my DD, I suppose, is I've just started a couple of new jobs, which okay. is very exciting. So I'm now working at Kingston as a lecturer, now working at Sussex as a lecturer, and um, just meeting people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I wasn't allowed to say that. <laughs> no, wait. <laughs> but me too. No, but beating different people. I mean different people. <laughs> I guess what's been really interesting is watching is people just being really interested in my in my work and having a change of scene has been great in terms of just finding out how other people view the world. It's, it's just amazing because you get quite stuck if you do jobs for a long time mm-hmm. in certain perspectives. And in terms of your poo-poos, where, where have you gone? So I suppose what, what we're recording just after the atrocities that happened in Israel uh, last weekend. Reflecting on that, I'm, I'm just stunned. I don't really know what to do, don't know what to say. And I suppose it's been quite hard and I am fearful for the future in terms of what it means for Israelis, Palestinians, Jewish people, Muslims. Paul, I share your poo-poo this week and yeah. I'm in that kind of ongoing wanting to watch the news because I want to be kept informed and that it's really important that we know around the struggles that people are facing and yeah. what we might be able to do to help in some way I, versus yeah. keeping your own emotional safety yeah. and well-being. So that kind of finding the balance of keeping informed as well as at times I've had to switch the news off because it's incredibly yeah. distressing. And can I just say to people and ask people just to kind of reach out to people that you know will be impacted um, no matter what because it makes a, it just makes a huge difference. Please reach out to people. That's all I would say. Right, so let's start. So I think what will be really useful is if we start with, so what's LGBTQ, U+, the rainbow spectrum, we're we going to call it that. What, what you know, who, who are these, who are these people? It sounds, already sounds other, very othering, doesn't it? To me, when we use that terminology, it's referring to, as, and I'm speaking as a het cisgender woman, yeah. it refers to people that aren't cis-het, yes. I guess. Yeah. So, so although it's a small, like a minoritised group of people within the community, actually mm. it's a very wide-ranging group of people yes. that we kind of group together when we talk about communities of people. And yeah. it's kind of moving away from the othering, becoming more inclusive. That's the beauty of the plus, isn't it? Is that we can, we can, it should be more and more inclusive. And I know that people can complain, oh, it's, oh you, there's more and more letters. What does that mean? And they're going to be quoting the alphabet next. But, but who are the people that are saying that? Well, I think people that are slightly challenged by diversity, really challenged by it. LGB is lesbian, gay, bisexual. T, transgender. Q, queer or questioning. It's more questioning in, in America, okay. strangely enough. Uh, in, As in... Go on non-binary because or does that not sit within that so questioning that is normally about questioning and where they sit in terms of their sexuality um originally but it could be questioning in terms of uh, their gender identity and then we have uh intersex and then we have asexual we have 
polysexual, gender queer, gender variant. It is expanding. The more we uh, find out and the more we're honest about diversity and what it means, as more as people are able to talk about their identity. Um, it seems that it's kind of expanding more and more. Personally, I don't have an issue with that, but I know that some people want to kind of reduce it back to lesbian, gay, bisexual. My contributions today, I'm not coming from a place of expertise at all, but I'm mm. really here in terms of wanting to be an ally, yeah. um, wanting to be informed, and yeah. wanting to also celebrate inclusivity and people. Yeah, I think for me, it's really difficult. I've never, I don't really talk about being gay. I don't want to be a gay social worker. Does that sound weird? I, I guess, what does being a gay social worker mean to you? Well, I think that's the whole point, is that we do live in a Brighton bubble, and I suppose for me, I don't feel different. You don't want to be known as a gay social worker, no, no. and is, is that because you don't want your identity to be as the gay social worker because there's so much more to your identity and that people would label you? I you. think so, but I think, you know, it's, I suppose for me, as a kid, when I was kind of growing up, for me, being gay was something that I knew, to, I don't know if any of this is making any sense to you, but it was something that was kind of stable for me. I didn't have a particularly great kind of teenage years in terms of what happened to me, um, but it was something that I could hold on to. Such... A sense of being, a, a sense, sense of, of identity. Absolutely. The argument that gets used is that children are too young to know yeah. their sexuality or their gender yeah. versus you decide as an adult yeah. your sexuality or gender but surely if you decided as an adult maybe there's something wrong with you now and that you should have always known so actually whichever way you are like whichever way you decide yeah. or learn or find yourself but people find out people ex are criticized yeah people are constantly exploring their sexuality and i suppose that's the first thing isn't it is that we shouldn't be just kind of saying, right, well, actually, that's who you are. Therefore, that's what you stick by. People come out much later in, in their lives. And we're constantly, our sexuality, our identity is constantly evolving. We don't get to know our identity at the age of 18. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Um, and so I suppose for me, it was something that I was OK with. It was something that kind of gave me kind of stability within lots of kind of turmoil. And it's something that made me feel, in a sense, normal. Does that make any sense to you? I don't feel... Um, you don't need to ask me if it's making sense to me. Like, yeah. I'm hearing you and I'm yeah, understanding. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I don't feel like you need to over-explain yourself either, yeah, like, for yeah. me to understand. Yeah. And I think the difficulty is with uh, with labels of kind of being gay as well. Yeah. Is that there's lots of stuff that comes with, the, with that. If we think about what it means to be gay, it's no longer about same-sex attraction or same-gender attraction or, you know, there's even discussions about that at the moment. I laugh with some of my friends about, you know, you know about gay school? No. <laughs> Tell me about gay school. Have I been? <laughs> no, well, I think you'd know if you've been. So everyone, <laughs> everyone that's um, gay, yep. they get to go to gay school. Mm -hmm. um, and it's how to learn to be gay. So for the gay men, they learn how to do, like, hairdressing and we know, learn how to do kind of interior design and kind of dress really, really snappily and all of that. Obviously, I missed quite a lot of those classes. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't miss the sarcasm class. But it's almost like there's this whole thing around being gay or being lesbian that you should be these types of things. And I think sometimes that kind of gets exaggerated. So I, I feel sometimes if I want to be part of being gay, going to Pride and saying, we're as good as you, I don't, it doesn't quite fit for me because I don't want to be as good as them because that's othering for mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like I have to get up there. Actually, I'm the same as other people. The only difference between me 
and other people. I don't particularly like Kylie Minogue. The only difference between me... Blasphemy! A <laughs> new album's all right. The only difference between me and other people is who I'm attracted to. That's That should be it. When you say other people, you're talking about heterosexual people. Uh, yes, but but yes, but also I think there's lots of gay and lesbian kind of affirmative people that like actually this is so much of our identity. We're almost different species and different beings. Okay, okay. I mean, a really interesting and, and uh, topic that we could continue to explore and unpick. Yeah, let's but come, this let's... isn't a therapy session. <laughs> but you're not paying me enough. <laughs> I'm not paying you at all. <laughs> let's bring it back to social work. Let's bring it back to social work. Social workers' role. Yes. Is that social work is a responsibility to reduce inequality, yeah. and particularly in protected characteristics of in people, for example, yes. sexual orientation or gender reassignment. Yeah, that sits within legislation. It does. So, do you want to know the legislation? Tell oh, us. Oh, because I'm I love legislation. Okay, so the main thing we're talking about is the Equality Act 2010. So, under the Act, for example, it's unlawful for employers to discriminate for people to discriminate against job applicants, uh, against employees um, by treating them less favourably than the others because of protected characteristics, what known protected characteristics. But they do, generally, but it's really hard for people to then come on and challenge that. But, but, but within social work, let's yes. say. Yes, and those kind of protected characteristics can be things, for example, such as sexual orientation um, or gender reassignment. There's a common kind of misconception in terms of that, especially with people that are, are gender critical, Mm -hmm. that actually there's a, like a blanket where you can't discriminate at all. But actually, if we think about provision criteria practice, uh, rapes, rape crisis centres, those types of things, if something can be justified, objectively justified, why you can exclude certain people, then that is built in within the Equality Act. So, Paul, that was quite a big statement. Can you yeah. give an example of how that might look in practice? OK. I'm going to make a statement which shouldn't be controversial, but for some reason is controversial, which is that trans women are women and trans men are men. The amount of hysteria that goes around those types of comments, especially when, and I know this is completely um, whataboutery, especially when, for example, a third of children within the UK are living in poverty, the amount of hysteria that goes around those types of statements that distract from really important issues, really important issues, that don't take into account actually the protections that are already there for services, such as for cisgendered women in terms of getting counselling and support for things such as rape. Now, there are certain provisions that will exclude trans women. I've seen headlines yeah. where it says five million pounds of their budget has been taken away from this organisation to go and support people from the LGBTQ. And that headline is there to fuel yeah. hatred, yes. fear. Yeah. There's also a kind of wider media role, as always, yes. Yes. within this. Yes. But your point around saying, actually, in terms of like, there's such an argument that's created, like an anti-trans, for example. Yes, and it's huge at the moment. But compared to the really big issues yes. all around children living in poverty, yes. why aren't people getting angry about that? Yes. Yeah, they would rather get angry about the fact that it messes up cis women's um, scores on park runs. Do you know what I mean, for goodness sake? We're going into like these bigger political debates, right? The media, yes, yes. The, the kind of yeah. children in poverty, blah, 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 the big systemic stuff. However, let's bring it back to like our local social work practitioners. Yes. 
What we know is that social workers have a responsibility to reduce inequality. It's written in legislation. Yes. However, we also know that social workers are uncertain at how to respond to LGBTQ yes. plus young people. That education and training in social work doesn't include the experiences of no. LGBTQ plus people. Unless and you're lucky to have um, someone like me as a... <laughs> okay, and we can, we can definitely talk about you some more, Paul. But, right. And also, but research, research suggests yeah. that there's, there's also, well not suggests, research says there's also a lack of research into the experiences yeah. of LGBTQ plus yeah. people within social work. Yeah. How do we address this? How do we support people within these communities? How do we equip and skill social workers yeah. to better respond and tackle the inequalities that people face. Yeah, but, and the reason why I was smiling is not just because it's great to see you again. It's because <laughs> the one thing you shouldn't do, which has happened to me in the past, is oh, someone's questioning their sexuality. We think someone might be gay. We think, Paul, can you go and work with that person? That's outrageous and I've had that a lot within my social work career. It's not outrageous from the person who asked you to do that. They didn't think they were being outrageous but what you're saying is by the term outrageous is yeah. You're, you're saying we're all the same because... Why should I, I? What am I meant to teach? What am I meant to be teaching them? So tell me why it's why all social workers need to know how to support and work with LGBTQI plus young yeah. people. And it shouldn't just be those people that are yes. identifying within that community. Because it goes back to what you said earlier. What we're dealing with is we, we are dealing with the way that people are discriminated against, the way that people are marginalised. That can be for different reasons. And we are trying to help people and trying to actually ensure that there is more equality in terms of the marginalisation. Okay, if we go back to statistics, LGBTQ plus people are more likely to come in care. They are more likely to have mental health issues. Now, that's not because they're LGBTQ no. plus. That's because they are more likely to experience discrimination, prejudice, stuff that really affects their mental health. That's what we need to be tapping into rather than saying they're gay, so therefore do gay stuff with them. Actually, they're experiencing prejudice. So all of us, we should be learning how to deal with prejudice so you're drawing on the when we talk about intersectionality and working with people yeah so this term from my understanding is that it was first coined by kimberley crenshaw um and she said around that it's a kind of a term that was used as double blind when it was first coined right to describe that being discriminated against was not just on the basis of say for example your gender yeah it might be your gender and ethnicity yes. at the time so yes. now but it's around saying actually intersectionality is yeah. not just being discriminated against because you're from from the lgbtq plus i community yeah but also because you may be experiencing mental health challenges yes. because you may be an older person living in the community maybe because you're a younger person yeah. maybe because you've got a disability as well so there's yeah. all of those things at play which mean that people have got additional challenges yeah. and when I'm talking about additional challenges in that sense of being able to reach out for support and trusting that those services are going to be able to respond to you yeah. and your needs yeah. and understand you yeah. without further creating trauma or unmet need for example yes but it's not just additional challenges as I suppose inter intersectionality isn't just about almost kind of adding things up or there being a Venn diagram. We also need to consider actually what are the privileges. So my privileges, you know, I have, I suppose, prejudice and discrimination against me because I'm Jewish, because I am gay, but I'm also a white or white presenting male from Europe in an affluent part of the, the world and um, who's been to university, who has a certain amount of knowledge. So I have privileges as well. So that affects intersectionality. So we need to really, really 
be person-centered and actually drill down into what identity means for some people um, in terms of themselves, but what it means in terms of how other people position them as well. Okay. We're talking about person-centered practice here. We're talking about relationship-centered practice, no matter if you're LGBTQI plus or not. And that's what we should be talking about, rather than just saying, right, well, we need certain mental health services for this group because they're more likely to have mental health needs. Actually, we need to be thinking in terms of wider communities and diversity. Of course, but I guess it's also saying you need to create safe spaces for those people to access yes. that support. So not the othering, not the going, oh, that's your identity. We've got a little group over here yeah, for yeah. you. It's around including people. But then the dilemma is how do you include people when there's still such prejudice at large? And yes. I guess what I'm saying around the role of social workers is kind of making changes to that. Yes. So when we're thinking about how can social workers create an, a, a, an inclusive environment, yeah. What would you say, if you're happy to say, coming in for you as a social as a as a okay. social worker who yes. identifies as gay? Yes, is that okay to say? I don't identify as queer. Do you want me to talk about that? I can do. Yeah. So for me, queer is is more, takes on this idea around queer theory. So I don't know if you know about kind of queer theory. Yeah, I've been reading about it all week. <laughs> <laughs> so let's. So, so queer theory. Give queer me theory. Give, give me the headlines. Queer theory is this idea that everyone is on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Okay, in terms of gender and in terms of um, our sexuality. So that's the Kinsey scale. And there's a great film about Kinsey, certainly recommend. But it's this idea that it's almost like a scale from zero to 100. And you're somewhere on that scale in terms of your sexuality, whether you're um, gay or straight. And also this includes ideas around heteronormativity and gender normativity. So imagine walking down the street as someone that is cishet and seeing same-sex attracted and trans people at every turn on, on adverts and films and seeing it in other couples. Yeah. Well, as someone that is LGBTQ, we see every that every day um, and we see that we're not the norm and, and that's heteronormativity and gender normativity. Okay. But let's address the term queer because yes. let's at least recognise that some people don't agree with that and term. And they're hugely offended by it. And I can understand that as well because it's been used as a term, um, a derogatory term, especially just before violent attacks, all of this kind of stuff. So I totally get it. But for me... Is it about reclaiming power over a derogatory a term? A little bit, a little bit about that. But for me, it's about not feeling like a deviant. It's For me, again, it's about feeling that we are all part of something and there is diversity within us. So that's why, for me, being labelled as gay being labelled as something different doesn't really feel right for me. Yeah. Um, whereas being labelled as queer, where I see queer as a much more inclusive term okay. for everybody, um, that helps me in terms of my identity. I completely understand that some people don't want to use it. I would never say to someone, you need to use that. But the same token, people shouldn't be saying to me, well, you shouldn't be using the term queer, you should be calling yourself gay. And so if we bring it back to social work practice, it's yes. very much, as you said, person-centred. It's around when people don't feel confident yes. at speaking with people about their sexuality, their gender. It's actually just asking people to yes. have those, asking people how they identify, yes. which sounds really um, kind of basic and fundamental. But it's but hard to it's, do. But it's also a really good starting point. Yes. And it is hard to do yeah. when you want to come across as kind of, you're in a position of power as social workers. Yeah. So then to come in and actually not know something yeah. can then be an uncomfortable position yeah. but actually we're saying embrace it and ask people yeah and let's and let's be kind of realistic here you know when you're doing an assessment or when you're meeting people you're not going to launch into 
um, are you gay or are you lesbian or anything like that. But what you should be doing is just minding your language. So we should be talking about partners, for example. Mm-hmm. We should be talking about what is your family makeup because there's different types of family kind of makeups now. People have chosen families, which is another kind of contested terms. But there's so be open in our language is really really important. You don't have to go straight into well, so are you gay or not? <laughs> I would advise against that. But just be open in your language. Also, be open when we're introducing ourselves. So, in terms of pronouns, when do you use pronouns? Do you introduce them when you're introducing yourself, or would you ask somebody what their pronouns are? To be fair, I'm not particularly good at it. I would say that I do that uh, when I'm meeting my students. I will ask them their pronouns. I normally put it at the bottom of my emails. That's a good starting point for social workers. Yeah, but even the term kind of preferred pronouns has certain connotations about it now. We should be using things like rolling pronouns. We're constantly learning kind of new ways of approaching the subject of LGBTQI identities plus identities. So rolling pronoun is around saying this is the pronoun that I am using currently. right now, but actually at the moment. But who knows? Next week, five minutes, whatever. Yeah, so and they, you're not, and you're saying that flippantly, but you're not really minimising. No, 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 no. What you're saying, but it's for people that will say things like uh, actually, you know, my preferred pronouns are he, they, or just use my name, depending on the context. And these rolling pronouns may be used uh, interchangeably within just one sentence. Um, for example. Jules uses they, them, theirs, and he, him, his pronouns within one sentence or a few sentences. And okay, for some middle-aged people, it's it's a lot to think about, but actually, it's just about respect. That's all it is. And acknowledging. And acknowledging. And, and acknowledgement for social workers, it's around also thinking about inclusive literature. So reading up, like becoming, informing yourself within the social work environment, then. It's also around creating, ensuring, like, I feel like there should be, like, champions within within teams yeah. to say, right, I'm championing either because I identify as part of the community, either yes. because I'm being an ally, yeah. but let's get signs up, let's promote yeah. uh, local events. Do you know, but attend the training, show up, be an ally. Yeah. Dare I say listen to the younger generation as well, who seem to be getting it right for them. And I think it's very easy for us to kind of come in. And we have had, you know, when I was a kid, there was Section 28. I don't know what that is. So Section 28 was the Local Government Act in 1988. But basically what it said was you shouldn't promote homosexuality. What that meant was social workers, teachers weren't allowed to actually talk about homosexuality because it was thought that you might be persuading, encouraging, encouraging exactly that. You know, Sounds back, like something out of the Bible. Well, it was from Thatcher, so there you go. But it was that whole thing of gay people are either, that first of all, they're deviants, and secondly, they're either perpetrators or they're victims. The same thing that we see for trans people at the moment mm-hmm. in common discourse. And that's what is happening around the world. Yes, in Russia, for example. Okay, but the point is... I have certain hangovers from that time. I have certain experiences from that time. Um, and lots of people, my generation and older, have experiences that we bring on board with us that, that actually skew how we think. And so therefore, what we need to actually start doing is listening to younger people who are much better at this. If you talk to younger people about gender, about sexuality. What I think that young people are experiencing is, again, perpetuated by the wider media Mm. is 
this sense of that they do know themselves. Yeah. But yet older generation of people are yeah. questioning their ability yeah. to know their own identity, saying Maybe you right. might be too young. Or it perpetuates a fear. So if you bring it back to social work practice and we're yeah. thinking about working with families, you might have a young person identifying within the LGBTIQI us. Well done. Community. Yeah. But actually, how supportive are their family around that? Are their family accepting yeah. of that? And if they're too accepting of that, what are social work's views on whether or not we should be wholeheartedly accepting what young people say they want? As you said, we mm. know that people's identities change as they grow through mm -hmm. the life overall lifespan. Mm -hmm. Or how do we manage that when families are being kind of potentially rejecting or criticising or yeah. even bordering on abusive around that? So yeah. those are some of the kind of real life practice, I think that social workers are probably grappling with. Yeah, but the, the key thing is, and this figures back into my research, I guess, that the key thing is that talking about these things with children. Children aren't too young to talk to them about their identity. And I know there's stuff around, you know, should drag queens be reading stories and all of this kind of stuff to young children? I don't see the problem with that. It's, you know, drag queens shouldn't be doing the same kind of stuff that I would go and see on a Saturday night at, at 10 o'clock at night. But actually what drag queens are doing, they're talking about individuality, they're talking about different ways to express yourself, different ways that people will identify. I wish I had something like that when I was growing up, so I didn't feel different, mm. defective, mm -hmm. it's not right. I think we need to really, really just think about how we keep things open rather than closing things down all the time. And so the conversation around drag queens, as you said, around that use of they're kind of very accepted within the mainstream, but seen kind of as humorous and a bit of a joke, but they bring those really important mm. conversations to the forefront. Mm -hmm. So it's around kind of bringing those conversations to the forefront, but they're not necessarily kind of minimising it through humour as well. So again, that's got its own debate. But humour's all right. We can have I, a bit I, of humor. I agree. I'm just saying that this can be some kind of perspective on it. Yeah. And a, a, an important conversation that I had with someone where I wanted to champion them and being part of kind of this forefront of saying, come with me, talk to these people, be part of like this change by kind of giving your experiences and your views and actually what they said because I didn't want to be the person to do that because I'm not the person in expertise to to train people up or to talk to people because I don't have lived experience necessarily within no. that identity however but, the feedback I got was saying actually we need allies to be doing that because yes. it's the allies that are going to change the people because you look like them you might they might identify with you in other ways and actually if you're bringing someone with a completely ident different identity to the forefront of society to social workers to to other people working in, in key agencies, yeah. then that doesn't work either. So that kind of really gave me permission to be able to be more of an ally yeah. rather than saying, oh, I, I, not that I don't want to speak on behalf of people, I just don't want to tread on any pe other people's toes and get it wrong. No, the way that you don't tread on people's toes is by listening to people and by understanding that you are supporting people that are experiencing marginalisation and discrimination. And you may not be LGBTQI+, but you will have experienced discrimination, you will know how to support people that have experienced discrimination and marginalisation, who have not been welcome, not had a sense of belonging in their families or in their communities, and that's what you should be focusing on. So it's about listening and understanding actually what's really going on, drilling down and what's really going on, you know, not making assumptions. How do then, as social workers, so for example, these are the mm. key things that I also want the to think really, about, and we may yeah, or yeah. may not because we've got a lot of stuff to cover. 
thinking about working with people's different parents' views around gay adopters, for example, or gay foster carers, mm. thinking about domestic abuse and the experiences of people from the LGBTQI+. Yeah. But also, like, on, in practice, thinking about a social worker, and we talk about children and families because that's where we worked, how do they challenge parents yeah. who may say, I've not got a problem with gay people, I just don't want my child to be one. I mean, that's an example, and I don't know if that's really old-fashioned no, or if I mean, that's, that's still really that's current. What, yeah, that's, that's, what, that's what we get. You know, there's been research where the government's 2018 LGBT survey was talking about 68% of respondents from, with a minor, minority sexual orientation say that, that they, um, they experienced that kind of prejudice of it's fine, but just not here, not, not in my here. house, not in, not in my house. You know, I've experienced that with some members of uh, my family a long time ago things. But that's the reality for so many children, young people, adults, parents who have come out. What's the role? Children. What's the role of social workers in that? Do you think, Paul? The role, again, is to come back to respectfully challenging using statistics using research getting people to come on board and say actually this is the reality and I know that this will also in terms of religion as well we have to remember that in terms of um, LGBT plus issues that really rubs against major religions and, and their beliefs so for example so when we're talking about honor based violence yeah is what springs to mind yeah is that I, in practice, fell back to women's experience of honour-based violence. Mm. And when I had developed training and knowledge in this area, I also understood it was also males' experience of honour-based violence based yeah. on their sexuality. It's a huge topic that comes up against social work. If you're not informed, then you can really miss the opportunity to safeguard people. And I think it's really tricky. You know, if we had the right resources, you know, we come back to recruitment, retention and working conditions as well. Maybe we shouldn't be having these conversations, these tricky conversations just on our own. And maybe we need time to build relationships, be trauma informed in our practice and our conversations that we're having, mirroring back language to challenge people that hold these beliefs that is causing harm to their family members. And that's the reality of it. But we have to bring people on board. And the way we do that is by explaining, listening to cultural understandings, the way different people, but understanding that there is this whole moral underlining thing of social work, of society, hopefully, that we need to be inclusive and we need to make sure that we're not causing harm to others, especially those that we love. So that's the challenge, isn't it? It's getting people on board. So, yeah. I mean, in terms of practice experience, we're talking about the kind of ideals, Paul, but the reality is that there will be people that have been in the profession or people that you're working in with key agencies mm -hmm. who don't share the same inclusive yeah. values and beliefs that we do. And that I've seen you, it. That, and that people will come up against prejudiced views. And how do you manage that? Because I've experienced that where you will have been in a team and somebody may make a comment, for example. A little jokey comment. A jokey comment. And, yeah. and, and how do you address those? So a jokey comment might be, oh, it's no, it's a he now. They used to be a she, but they're yeah. a he. I can't keep up. But it's true. And yeah. so how do you, particularly when you're at the new, earlier stages of your career? I think there's two ways you can do it. So the first way is be direct, put your head above the parapet. 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 <laughs> Thank you. I'm, and really kind of actually challenge on, you know, go to managers, all of that kind of stuff. Now, that's really, really scary for a lot of people. 
again, it's about being open with your language, just making sure that you're not misgendering. Oh, just correcting. Oh, it is. Uh, you, you meant they. Oh, yes, they. Yeah, that's what I meant. You know, even those really subtle little things where you're forcing people to use the right pronouns, mm -hmm. subtle little things where you're saying you mean partner or all of that kind of stuff when you're talking about family or uh, foster parents rather than mum, dad, making sure that the environment is kind of inclusive. So just little, slight little alterations that you do can have a huge impact on the work environment and have a huge impact on how other people will then just start without maybe wanting to, correcting their language a little bit, make them think a little bit. There's so much that we can continue to cover on, yeah. on this topic and I really want to do it justice. And I know we say that about lots of things we talk <laughs> about. What I also want to address is the issue around the disproportionate amount of people that are the impact of domestic abuse. Mm. And we talked about intersectionality earlier but as we know, domestic abuse is kind of harmful, traumatic, mm. and that society doesn't actually treat all victims the same. Mm. I'm raising it as an issue because in social work, we know that domestic abuse is such a high proportionate amount of people that you work with, be it adult services or children's services, yeah. and that people's experiences that I'm aware of where they have tried to access safe accommodation. Mm. We know that this has been addressed within Domestic Abuse Act 21, that local authorities now have a duty to provide safe accommodation to all victim survivors, yep. and that local authorities are having to create accommodation that's outside of the traditional refuge model, which is great progress. Yes. However, the reality is there's a shortage of housing, and there are people within these communities that need safe places to live, mm. that the re response in terms of domestic abuse is there, the response in terms of how housing are responding to victim survivors is not good enough. And mm. so I guess, how can social workers support people within these positions of experiencing domestic abuse and recognising the extra challenges they face? Yeah, I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer to that. I wish okay. I did. I, and I guess, it's again, it goes on back to our, our previous episode around working conditions, having the time to build those relationships, having the time to challenge as well, having the space to challenge policy and practice, doing that thing where we're not just affecting individual change, but also social justice and social change. Mm. But also being aware of the key yeah. issues, the extra challenges that people face within these communities yes. around the prejudice around the social biases of the, and the stereotypes in terms of people it affect people's ability to access support to reach out yeah. why that people's previous experiences of services may mean that they're less likely to reach out than other people and also how people's being marginalized in this way then impacts on how perpetrators of domestic abuse what their tactics are uh, then being able to isolate people further yeah. and so it's becoming more aware of yeah. these challenges yeah. to specific groups of people in order to be able to really advocate for them yes. and provide the support that's needed and of course there's a, the whole structural challenges yeah. on what resources are available but going back to your person-centered approach being really human knowing people and what they're going through yeah. goes a long way than kind of avoiding that case because you're not quite sure or you don't feel very confident at dealing with it yeah so it's making sure that we don't hold these judgments it's doing that without without judgment of other people those niggling little bits in our head we all hold biases as well we all hold these stereotypes whether we like it or not whether we want to admit it or not 
So that's again, it's that's why reflective practice is re really useful. Understanding where those kind of things come from is is about ensuring that we bring in context. So understanding circumstances, not just of individuals, but circumstances in terms of society, in terms of politics, in terms of where we are within history. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Go on. What's your favourite Kylie? <laughs> Do you know what it is? It's in your eyes. It was on the X album. Not that I know that, <laughs> because I don't no, like Kylie. Kylie. <laughs> yeah. Can I ask you a question? Yes, go on. How can people be a good ally? There's some interesting research, actually. It's about being informed. There isn't that much research. There is some guidance that's come out and in the last few years by what Work Centre is now called Foundations, run by Mr McAllister, who we know. So the, the guidance um, has been done by... Social work lecturer Jason Schaub, Professor Paul Montgomery. There's also some stuff um, that I've seen by uh, William Stander, Helen Kosser. So all of these people, um, we'll put them on the show notes. But there is some guidance, there is some research out there. But it talks about what we're talking about, those things, those knotty topics that we're talking about at the moment. And talking about uh, discrimination, about relationship-based practice and listening to people. I just wanted to put that out there if people want to become informed. Go can on. I do one last little bit? And this is me being a bit, can I say gay? <laughs> no. Queer. <laughs> Queer, thank you. Let's be celebratory about, um, let's not just be tolerant of other people. Let's actually celebrate diversity. I think that's what's really important as well, is that we have to get into the frame of mind of, of actually celebrating diversity. And why should we celebrate diversity? Well, because some of us, we'd all be the same. Yes. But some people just want to be the same because it's less threatening to them. So the idea that people are different feels threatening yes. to people's sense of identity. Correct. If they're Correct. Going back to queer theory, you've become a queer, queer theorist. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So in terms of celebrating diversity, there's someone brilliant that I really, really want you to read. Me? Yeah, you. Um, someone called Sue Westwood, and she talks about celebrating diversity, how we do that. Again, I'll put it in the show notes. And if we're talking about local organisations, yeah. I'd really like to give a shout out and a mention to Switchboard. Yep. To Across Rainbows. Yep. To... Uh, Mind Out. No, that was mine. <laughs> and whilst, whilst they are so um, important, we don't just ship LGBTQ plus people to them to deal with them. We have to make sure that they are included within our services as well. And it's about choice. It's about making sure people have choice to go to different places where they feel safe, but also that we ensure that they feel safe within our general services. Does that make sense? And these services are great. And as for pr practitioners, I think they'd be really welcoming for us approaching them yeah. for advice, yes. guidance, getting it right, including them as part of the services. I think yeah. it's really important that we support our buying for services, yes. which is services that are run by local people run by them but for those communities and they're the people that provide great support expertise knowledge and experience and so as social workers find out who your local services are and reach yeah. out to them yes very good very good point okay let's round this up and wrap this up what are your kind of reflections i came into the podcast today wanting to really get it right to be yeah. kind of really treading around the use of language and the things that I said at the start of our conversation today, I didn't want to get it wrong and mm. I felt quite 
kind of apprehensive about how I was going to approach it. I've come out the other side of going, I might have got some things wrong, but I've really valued this time and opportunity to just explore some really key issues around how social workers can work with and respond to people from the LGBTQI plus communities. And actually, if I can give it motivation to just go away and just learn some more if that's not a community that you identify with in yeah. any shape or form or even if you do there's so much more to learn as well as, as you've talked about I've, I've really enjoyed tonight and I've gone away feeling um, positive thank you um, and Paul I suppose like you I wanted to get it right but I, I wanted to make sure that people didn't think that I had all the answers because as you can tell my views are very jumbled around my identity and I think we need to understand that it's gone much deep this has gone much deeper than than I thought it would in, t- in terms of these kind of conversations. That's probably a good thing. All I'd like to sum up with is no matter who you are, uh, no matter how you identify, if you want to go and listen to Kylie, then go and do it. Don't let me stop you. Thanks, Sarah. Again, been really great. Until, until next time. Ciao. Ciao for now. <laughs> <laughs>